Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. I want to welcome everyone here tonight and everyone listening on our podcast channel. Um, thank you for being here. Um, and last week, you know, Israel's exodus was a very important lesson to them. And it talked about uh, how they were going to uh, talk about God's guidance and his goodness in their lives. And this week, you know, I look at the time and I have 30 minutes. And, you know, I, I looked at the text and it's like, there's 31 verses here. Yeah, and then it, it reminded me back to when Pastor Dave was saying, i got to cover all ten of these plagues tonight. And I'm thinking, well, who's, signing, who's assigning these texts? It's me. So bear with me. Hopefully we're going to get through this pretty quick tonight. So um, if I rush, I apologize, but I want to kind of get you guys out on time, though. Now I actually... 29 minutes left so all right so if you have your bibles let's open them up to exodus 14 verse 1 and we're going to hear we're from uh this is the lord saying to moses it says this the lord said to moses tell the israelites to turn back and encamp at pi harathon between magal and the sea they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite bel zephon Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Well, Pyrethon stands for a mouth or a gorge, and Magdal was, means a tower. So they're in this area here. God had directed these, his people to this area, this camp, this cavernous mountain area. And it could have been a mighty fortress for an army. But the one thing is their backs were to the sea. Their backs were to the sea. This doesn't seem like a very wise decision or very wise choice at all. But if the Egyptians were to pursue them, they'd be sitting ducks because they would have no place to go. Escape would be impossible but God but God had a strategy now we're given another reason why God selected this route for his people to take the reports to Pharaoh would convince him that the Jewish people were wandering around like lost sheep in the wilderness and they were going to be easy to pursue and capture. But there's one thing when we say, but God, but God always has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And he had a plan and purpose for them as well. God is so faithful, he will always give us an escape. He will always give us a way out. He will always provide for us so that we can endure. Our Lord was working all of this, just like he does in our lives, every little thing for his glory. And that strength is for today, but it's also for the great hope of tomorrow. God works all these things for his glory. 
And then in verse 4 it says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. It's important because he wanted them to know that I am the Lord. Now, God hardens his heart. But Pharaoh had to have known who the one true God was by now. Don't you think? Don't you think he would have known this after the frogs, the flies, all these things coming at him? He would have known that. The blood, the boils. Well, what about the children? Pharaoh lost his son. The horrible deaths, surely they would have thought and known who God was by this time. But Pharaoh still had one thing left. I got one thing. One thing's left up my sleeve, right? Pharaoh had this awesome and legendary army. And he says, you know what? I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them who's boss because I have this army and they're going to go and they're going to get them. Now through all this, Pharaoh had been convinced enough on who God was to let the people go, but he was not converted to see who the one true living God was. He was convinced, but he was not converted. There was no sanctification there for him by everything that God had done. But God's going to show him his power over his military might. And God said this, and if you're taking notes, but I will gain glory for myself. God works everything for his glory. Everything in our lives that's going on, God is working it for his glory. And then in verse 5, it says this, When the king of Egypt, or Pharaoh, was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about then and said, What have we done? What have we done? Have we ever done that? Oh, Lord, what have I done? But he wasn't saying, oh, Lord, what have I done? He's looking at himself because now he's lost all his workforce. But he says, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go, and we have lost their service. Pharaoh had forgotten God. He forgot everything that God had already done. And now he's bitterly repenting his hasty decision. And that came from pride and a need for revenge. Does that drive us sometimes? Our pride get in the way and we want to have revenge. But the Lord says revenge is mine. So his workforce is gone. He's waking up, and he wants them back. And he's saying they're confused. They don't know what they're doing. Look what they're doing. They're stumbling around like lost sheep. Pharaoh had enough time to reflect on all this 
and he wanted them back. Well, the enemy always is roaming around looking to pursue us and devour us. And that's what Pharaoh was doing. He was keeping his eye looking at them just like the enemy does to each and every one of us. The one thing is that pride and revenge will doom Pharaoh. And it will doom us to destruction as well. And if you're taking notes, people who are prideful and arrogant are likely to fall. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And then in verse 6, it says this, So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Now here they are. They're marching. What are they doing? They're rejoicing. Yes, we did it. Probably giving high fives to everybody. We've done it. Celebrating. Have they really done it? Have they done anything yet? Now Pharaoh's getting 600 of his best chariots, his guards. And then it says there were other chariots. So I looked at that. I was kind of interested why it said other chariots because it was more like um, the 600 were his best. They were the best. They were the most elite. Everything that they had because in these what these were is they would have three riders in them they would actually have a driver that would drive and then they were able to have two of them fight in mortars the other ones they just had two so they had like to wrap the reins around their waist and kind of fight as they're going along that's not a real good situation is it but that's who those were and he has all these people going out there. And I believe it was more like a shock and awe campaign. We all know what shock and awe is, right? We've all heard that term. Well, that's what Pharaoh's going to do. He's going to shock and awe these people. They're confused, and I'm going to confuse them more, and I'm going to take them. I'm going to bring my workforce back. But God. Pharaoh got his army together. And we're told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That was God's will being done. God hardened his heart so he could accomplish his purpose. And we know how the story ends. The evil turn of Pharaoh's heart turns back on himself, resulting in an empire-wide catastrophe. His whole army. God's will was being done. From a human perspective, sometimes when we read that, we say, it seems wrong for God to harden a person and then punish them as he's hardened them. But not really. In Romans 9.18, it says this, Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and hardens whom he wants to harden. 
God did this for a reason because biblically speaking, we know in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And then in Romans 6.23, what does it say? The wage of sin is death. That's what he deserved. Therefore, God's hardening and punishing his, him is not really unjust. It actually is merciful in comparison to what he really deserved. Because what he really deserved was death. That's what he deserved. But God didn't do that. God hardened his heart for his will to be done in his glory. And then in verse 9, it says this, The Egyptians, all the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pyrathon, opposite Baal Zephon. What was happening was a final showdown. This was a final showdown between our invincible God of Israel and the Egyptian Pharaoh. Between God and the Egyptian gods, small g's. Where force meets force, right? That's what Pharaoh thought. I'm going to show you who I am. And then God says, well, I'm going to show you who I am. The power of God against man. God had been demonstrating his awesome power, and they would indeed know who God was. He was the Lord. And he was the God over all of creation and the heavens and the earths. I am the Lord. And then in verse 10, it says this, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They were terrified, probably because they left with no arms. They didn't have any way of defending themselves. They were completely defenseless. But what they did is they looked up. They only lifted their eyes high enough to see the problem. Do we do that? Do we only lift our eyes high enough to see this, the problem that's going on or the situation that's in front of us? Remember Peter. Remember Peter on the water? It's going pretty good. Kept his eyes where they were at. And then when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Jesus said, you have so little faith. Why do you doubt me? Through the storms, we need to know that he is the Lord and Lord of all and the Lord of all our circumstances. The next point is, lift your eyes high enough to see our protector, our Savior, and our Lord. Keep your eyes above the circumstances and look to our Lord for what's happening. And then in verse 11 it says, 
They said to Moses, was it because, was it because we were, there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Wow. What a comment. But at this crisis moment, instead of having faith, and God and what he's already done, his miraculous delivery out of Egypt already, they panicked and they turned to Moses. They turned on Moses. Do we do that? Do we turn on people when situations get tough? We turn on them. They were accusing him of bringing them out there to die. We would have been better off if you'd just left us alone. Do we question our current situations like that? Would we have been better off? Are we better off looking back to who we were in our sinful life instead of looking forward to what God has in store for each and every one of us? That's the question. Why would we look back? Why would we want to have that life that we had before? when God has so much more for us. As long as the Israelites kept their eyes on this fiery pillar and followed the Lord, they were walking by faith and no enemy could touch them. But when we lose sight of our Lord's presence in our lives, we become frightened and scared. For we walk by faith, not by sight in 2 Corinthians Lack of faith or unbelief has a way of erasing all the memories and all the demonstrations that we've seen of God's great power. That's what it was doing for them. But we know that God is faithful. He's faithful to us, and he will be faithful to his children. And he's faithful through his word. We live by his promises. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, we become frightened and lose sight of what really matters, and we begin to complain. Be aware of God's presence. Always look to Him. Not to the situations, not to the circumstances, but look for Him for direction and guidance and His faithfulness. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to take notes. Write this down. Focus on God's faithfulness in the past so we can face crises with confidence rather than fear and complaining. Trust God will, trusting God will spare us a lot of grief. It will spare us a lot of grief if we just trust God in his plan. And then in verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never see again. Now Moses steps up. Moses is stepping up here, and he's aware of God's presence, and courage rose up out of him. And with confidence, he's telling them, stand firm. Stand firm. And some versions say, fear not. 
fear can sometimes actually make us act quickly. Have you done that? When something makes you fearful, you act quickly. You act real rash. Or other times, it can energize us to be paralyzed. We can act quickly or we can become paralyzed. Sometimes we can't get over our fears, but we can get above them. We may not get over them, but we can get above them by keeping our eyes focused on the Lord. We should be like Moses in his attitude to stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord, the salvation that he's given us. Stand firm in his enabling. And what that means is he has the authority and the means to do something. He can and he will on our behalf. And the things that he will accomplish in our lives. And then verse 14 says, The Lord will fight for you. You will need only to be still. Only to be still. He's telling them, leave this to God. Leave this to God. Do we do this? Do we stand still in the expectations of what God's going to do? Because God's going to do it. Moses not only told them to stand firm, but now he's telling them to be still. Be still. How easy would it have been for them just to keep criticizing? None of this would have helped. But standing firm in Christ, his enabling, by being still, we have faith and expectation of what God is going to do. In Psalms 46.10, it says this, Be still and know that I'm God. Unbelief or lack of faith complains but faith obeys and brings glory to God. When we don't know what's going on, be still and know He's God. We exist for God. He does not exist for us. So be still and let God be God. God is so faithful when we think everything around us is falling apart. Be still and know that he's God and receive his comfort and his peace in this situation. And then verse 15, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. <laughs> Telling them to move on. You say they're crying out. So they're praying. I don't think they're, they're whining. I think they're praying, right? They're praying, and praying is so vital in our lives. It's so important. But at some time, we need to stop praying, and we need to get moving, right? We need to move. Prayer is what they were doing. But what God's saying, he's saying, okay, look up, but now get up. Look up and get up. It's time for you to move. God wants them to move. And sometimes we know that 
we pray for guidance, and that's really good. But at other times, we use prayer as an excuse to postpone doing what we know we should be doing. So let's get moving. Just like we saw with Pastor Mackley. Let's get moving. Let's do it. For us, get moving is telling people, telling the lost about who Jesus Christ is. Telling the lost about the love of Christ, what he's done in our lives, and what he can do for them. He cleaned us. He cleansed us of our sins. And he can do that for them. Let's get moving. Let's tell the lost about what Jesus Christ can do. And then in verse 16, it says this. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. I am the Lord. God gets the glory. And God did these miracles because he wanted to keep on reminding his people of the deliverance of Israel. It was important for them to know and experience the power and presence, but it is more important that the world understands God's sovereignty. And that's what he was saying. I will put you in a bad situation of tough thought because I want to make myself known to the Egyptians. I am God in control of everything. And God gives us that strength and peace. Because when God does something that we can't do, when God moves a mountain, we know that's God that did it, right? We know when God moves in our lives. And He gets the glory. It's not anything we can do. It's God. Because He's the Lord. And He gets the glory through all this. And the Jewish people, for years to come, would measure everything by the demonstration of God's power at this exodus. But God, he had another purpose in mind, revealing once more, he wanted to reveal who he was and his power for his glory as he defeated the Egyptians. All the Egyptians will know that I am God. And then in verse 19, and I'm going to try to speed this up because I'm not going to make it. <laughs> then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness in one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. This cloud was the presence of God. And that cloud provided darkness to the Egyptians, but it was light to the believers. The Word of God is a light to the believers, 
And it's to all of us who choose to walk in the light. But some choose to walk in the darkness rather than the light. In John 3.19, it says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the light because of their deeds were evil. There's darkness. It was time for the Egyptians to wake up and come out of the darkness and come into the light. And how they were going to do that, God was going to show them, I am the Lord. He was going to show them who he was. And in verse 21, it says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. At this point in Exodus... We see the seas are kind of like the nations. The seas are kind of referred to the nations as the seas were parting, the nations were parting so that the Israelites could go to the promised land. And faith is not believing in spite of evidence. That's superstition. But obeying in spite of the consequences. Obeying and leaving the consequences to God. And that's what they did. Sometimes we can find ourselves with a problem with no way out and we start to panic. But God showed them the sign and God can open the way for you and I as well. He can open that way. If you're taking notes, when we have faith in God's word, his promises will have peace, give us peace in our hearts. When we think there's not a way out, there's a way out. For God says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He is always there with you during this time. God was so faithful to his people, and God will be faithful to us as well. And then in verse 23, it says this, The Egyptians pursued them. And all the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from a pillar of fire at the cloud of the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting against Egypt. The Lord is fighting against Egypt. In Psalm 77, 16, I just want to read this to you because it gives a really good picture of what these Egyptians were facing. It doesn't tell us right there, but it does in this. So I'm, I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. It says this, When the sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured out rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. 
the lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a path no one knew was there. You led your people along the road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. A path that no one knew was there. That's our God. He's going to provide us with a path that nobody knows is there. But can you imagine how they felt when the earth was trembling, the waters, the lightning, it was going, and they were about to find out who God was. They're finding out right now. Their chariots were broke down in the middle of the sea. They were in trouble. And they realized one thing. Let's get away from these Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. We need to look to our Lord to fight our battles. But for them, it was too late. But for us, it's never too late. It is never too late for our Lord to fight our battles. And how do we fight our battles? We fight our battles on our knees. We've never stood taller or stronger than when we've been on our knees. In verse 26, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch your hand out over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. Verse 28, the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them was spared. Not one of them was spared. None of them survived in verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water at their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of Egypt and Israel saw the Egyptians lying on the dead on the shore. And when, verse 31, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his service, servant. This muddy road that they traveled, these bodies would only enhance that triumph as they saw them on there. And it says, the day of the Lord... The day of the Lord means the eternal rule of God. And that's what he was showing them. He was showing them who he was and his eternal rule. The day of ultimate judgment bringing final deliverance or doom to the Egyptians, they called it the day of Yahweh. And in the New Testament, the day of the Lord is the triumph of day of Christ's return to earth and his glory. Amen? Amen. When he returns for us. And it says, 
that the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. I want to go to, if you can, if you have your Bibles, go to Proverbs. Um, it's verse 9 and verse 10. And it says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One in His understanding or the knowledge of the Holy One in sight. That's what happened to the Israelites that day. The fear of the Lord came across them because they saw His glory. They saw who He was. The Egyptians, not so much. But for them, they saw the glory of the Lord and knew that He was God, just like we know today. We know who God is. God is so faithful to each and every one of us. And in every situation that we have, God's working it for His glory. But we need to remember all the things that God has done for us in our lives. He's done so many things. He has been so faithful to each and every one of us that we remember those things and we don't complain. We get on our knees and we pray. We look up and then we get up and we get moving. Remember, through all the storms in life, He's the Lord and the Lord of all. Father, we thank You for Your Word tonight. Father, it's a, it's a pleasure to come into Your house and be taught Your Word. Father, I ask that Your Spirit would just move through all of us tonight and that we would know that You are the Lord. And the fear of the Lord would be in us as we apply your word, your biblical principles in our life. Use us for your glory. All the situations that are going on, everything that's happening in our lives, we know that you're working it for the good and we know we're, you're working it for your glory. So whenever we get into a situation where we feel like our backs are up against the wall, we know you'll have a way out for us. We know that you're there. We know that your presence is there. We have your word to remind us of that. We live by your promises. And Father, we're so thankful for everything you've done. We're thankful for your son so that we can be in a relationship with you, that we can be forgiven of our sins, and that we have the opportunity to tell other people about what you did for each and every one of us. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 10.45 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m.